This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Skate Podcast, talking Bruins hockey with WEI Bruins writers Scott McLaughlin, Bridget Prue, and Brian DeFelice. Lace them up for some beast talk. It's Odyssey's The Skate Pod on WEI. Woo! Welcome into episode 253 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. Bridget's already cracking up laughing. We're off to a hot start. What's going on over there? <laughs> My computer went black as soon as you started talking. <laughs> I thought oh, you lost cool. me right from the beginning. Oh then, my god, we're off to a we're off to if a. If anyone's start. watching, you just saw me make the worst face possible. <laughs> I'm sitting there. I'm like, well, she's. I'm pretty sure I'm introducing us the same way I have for all 200 <laughs> episodes. What's she laughing about over there? You got something in my teeth or something? Oh, huh. No, my whole computer went black, and then it came. It came back, guys. I could see you again, so we're good. Um. I'm just upset that Bridget's not in the club again this episode. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Bridget was recording live from the Grand last episode. She's gonna, she's Asking you that. shall um, receive. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Um, Bridget and Scott, we're gonna we're gonna do another um, miniature mailbag episode uh, this week. The Bruins again, they're they're just kind of off for a couple of days here. It, it won't be as extensive as probably last week's. But before we get into that. Why don't you guys, uh, Scott, maybe you can update uh, Bruins fans on the latest happening with the team. Sure. So the news out of uh, Tuesday's practice is that Pavel Zaka and Charlie McAvoy have both been ruled out for Wednesday's game in New Jersey. Uh, McAvoy obviously missed Saturday's game as well with the upper body injury that he suffered last week. Zaka left Saturday's game against Arizona with an upper body injury. Uh, both still considered day-to-day. Nothing decided beyond Wednesday, but they won't be playing Wednesday. So Jesper Boquist was called up from Providence and remains to be seen if he plays Wednesday or if he's just the 13th forward. Um, Morgan Geeky will remain at center. He's been practicing on the top line between Pasternak and DeBrusque, so I know we're going to get into that as, as we get going here. Um, and I guess, you know, the other newsy item, which is I think what the vast majority of the questions we got was about is uh, Montgomery re- revealed on Monday that he had a meeting with, with Matt Patra after, you know, Patra once again was um, benched in the third period on Saturday, even though they were already down a center and Montgomery basically gave off the vibe that this was a positive meeting and it was all about, you know, kind of reinforcing his belief in Potra and the team's belief 
and you know they they think he's doing a lot of good they think he has a bright future but there's just some stuff he has to work on you know he said he tries to kind of leave Padre with like one or two things when when they meet to, to focus on uh, in order to better round out his game and be able to you know play in those situations going forward at some point so yeah i think that's sort of the the main news from the last two days of practice so i think just because of you, you just brought it up scott maybe we can just jump in quickly to at least one of the mailbag questions that was directly correlating to the meeting with montgomery and patra and that was uh it was a message or a question sent in from from sam who uh, or was it kim my apologies. Hold on we second. have questions oh, from Sam, Sam. about Sam. it. Yeah, yeah, no, I know, I know. But this one in particular was from Sam. Said, uh, encouraged that Monty met with Potra on Monday and appreciated his comments. But I want to see Potsy. I like, hey, I'm just I'm just reading the questions as they come in, right? So everybody's, you know, mentioning their nicknames and whatnot. But um, I want to see Potsy on the ice more helping the bees than worrying if he's smiling enough. I get they want his energy and enthusiasm in the locker room, but hoping they can find a balance. Brian, Bridget, and Scott, do you think the meeting with Monty will help Maddie, Matt Patra, in the long run? Seems he definitely has the support of his teammates, hoping he now feels he has the support of his coach. Well, I think it was necessary. And I, uh, not to like jump ahead to one of the other questions, but like, I think that maybe it does ease a little bit of the criticism that was going on in the media about benching him. I mean, we spent, I don't know, like a half an hour talking about it the last podcast. And I think the backlash was maybe a little bit more than they were expecting. And in terms of like Patra's development, obviously you need to explain what you want from him. That's different or like how you want to use him or like he needs to have the information in order to learn and to figure out, you know, what his role is and and what have you. So obviously a meeting was definitely warranted. And like we mentioned at the end of the game, he said, Montgomery said he didn't talk to him mid game. He didn't say anything to him during it. He said, I'll handle it Monday. And he did um, with the meeting. And I, I like, I think we also alluded to this a lot last podcast. I'm sure he wasn't like upset. Like the meeting wasn't because he was, you know, emotional about it or like mad about it or anything like that. It was probably more of a, Hey, this is, this is why this is what um, like, this is the way we might do it in the future. And just an explanation. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, and we kind of saw this with pulling Swayman from the game, you know, whatever that was two weeks ago, there's, there's not enough time for a coach to explain those decisions in game. Like you just have to make your decision and go with it. And then you're focusing on what's happening the next shift and what the opponent's doing and what your line's doing. And like, you can't just talk to one player and, you know, explain in in great detail why you're pulling them or sitting them down or whatever. So yeah, especially with a young player like Potter, like it, it is important to explain what you want from him, why you're doing what you're doing. Um, and I think he has sort of every step of the way this season uh, you know, especially with the rookie, like I think they meet more often than, um, you know, like Montgomery in the past has described Charlie Coyle as like a very easy hands-off player to coach. Like he rarely has to talk to him about stuff. And it's like, yeah, it's because Charlie Coyle has been in the league a long time and he knows what he's doing. 
and there's very rarely anything there that you have to correct or worry about. Um, low maintenance is the exact description that Montgomery has used. With a rookie, it's just different. Like they're going through all of this for the first time, so it's it's a necessity to meet with them more and talk about all this stuff. And that's really all I think is happening. Like it maybe some of it is a response to the criticism, but honestly, like I don't I don't really think Montgomery cares all that much if like people are ripping him for benching Potter in the third period. Like I, I think he would have had this meeting anyways because we know, you know, we've always heard communication is his strength. And this is why, because he does explain things to players and he will pull them aside and go over stuff. So, you know, I think it would have happened anyways, but it does also have that effect of maybe blunting some of the criticism that was coming in towards Montgomery in particular. Yeah. I think, I think the most important thing in this situation is that, you need to have communication as a player. It's, it, it it's, it's imperative that you know where you stand with your coach. And that's not something that is prevalent in every coach player dynamic or relationship. And I think that as long from a player's perspective, as long as you know where you stand with your coach and what's expected of you and why things are being done the way that they are, then you're not wasting energy asking yourself a million questions or trying to get into your coach's head because he's telling you exactly what he's expecting and why he's doing the things that he's doing. So as, so yeah, I, I think that's more important that that line of communication is there with Montgomery and his players and specifically, you know, being sat in a period or whatever um, players waste a lot of energy off the ice and on the ice and on the bench trying to think of why did coach sit me there? I thought I played well. Why did coach do that? Why is coach doing this? When you don't have to ask yourself all those questions, you can just focus on, on what what's being asked of you and how to how to move forward, um, Scott. You mentioned sorry, Bridget. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say to take that a step forward. It might be helpful for us in the media and just the fan base to know what was said exactly, like what was the explanation, so that every single time it happens, it's not like the same conversation where it's like, oh, was he getting punished for something, or did we see this and that? Like it's been explained why you know you know what i mean like it's one thing to explain it to him and that should help i mean him and it helps a little bit with the, the you know controlling the narrative and, and making it look a little bit better but i think that maybe a, a direct explanation to the fan base might also help with that situation and have people not freak out as much because once again our entire mailbag uh was pretty much full of questions to this topic and people with a lot of different uh, opinions on it. And most of them were in disagreement that um, this was the right thing to do with Patra. Yeah. And I also think like at, at its core, this is a matter of, you know, they had three days off after Saturday's game and, and Montgomery kind of referenced this too, that, you know, he, I think it was on his Nesson post game interview where he referenced that they had the days off coming up and, that allows you to shorten your bench to three lines, which is what they did in the third period. They just rolled three lines. It wasn't just Patra, who obviously Zaka was out. Patra sat, and I believe Oscar Steen only got like two shifts in the third period. So like he was the other one who sort of shuffled out of that group. Um, yeah, when you go down to three lines, like if you have three lines that are working well, then you're just going to stick with those three. And it's like, 
you're not going to then also mix Potra in just to get him a shift. If he's not in that group of nine forwards that you're cutting the bench down to, in game, there's not really a way to get back in there. Now, going forward, that's what Montgomery is focusing is focusing on is like, what can you do to be in that top nine the next time we shorten that? And by the way, and also this it was next stretch, of a- like, sorry, just to finish my point, that this next stretch, like you might not see it because now they have three games in four days. So, you know, they might have to continue to roll four lines, even if it is a one goal game in the third period. And also is a weird situation in that particular game because they didn't have enough personnel to feel the full fourth line because Zaka went down. So like there wasn't enough personnel to roll another line. Like they would have had to mix in uh, different people. And this is very common in college hockey. Seeing this happen a lot. Um, sometimes when you get a, an injured player, the bench shortens even further to those three lines. College is you're way more likely to see three lines. Most of the game, maybe like, honestly, sometimes three shifts from the fourth line throughout the whole game, much, much more common in college. Um, they also obviously play much less of a workload than an NHL workload. So um, just a little bit of perspective on that and maybe logistically why there wasn't like a makeshift fourth line for those guys to even roll with. Cause Geeky gets called up and then that leaves Patra and Steen um, just really not, not with another third line mate. So uh, and, and one one last point I would make on the communication thing. Um, I forgot to mention this. Uh, just because a coach communicates well with his player doesn't mean that that player is going to A, like, or B, agree with what the coach is saying. But it's still better than not knowing anything at all. And at least you can take whatever he's giving you and be like, I might feel this way, but this is what the guy's telling me. And he's, he's making the decision. So it is what it is. Um, I want to clarify that as well. Yeah. yeah um, one time I cried on the bench when my basketball coach didn't put me out there and I didn't know why. So, you know, it's better yeah. to have the clarification before anyone starts crying. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. I would just get very defensive. Like, I, I just be like, like in my head, it was just like, God, coach, coach has it out for me. Like, I, I don't deserve this. Oh. And, you know, yeah. pr- probably did in retrospect, but. Pro tip to you guys. If anyone ever sees me crying, just know I only cry when I'm angry. So that means someone is like, I'm seeing red and someone's about to die. I I only cry when I drive to Chick-fil-A and realize it's Sunday. Besides that, I'm fine, honestly. <laughs> um, so, Scott, you mentioned a few minutes ago that uh, you don't think Montgomery really cared all too much necessarily about maybe the outside noise. that You think he would have had this conversation with Patra regardless so i'm just gonna uh kim kind of sent us in um a a message i'm gonna pick pick at it pick at the bones and just kind of get to what she's asking so based on what i just mentioned scott she was asking if there's a little bit of damage control going on maybe maybe montgomery wasn't expecting uh so much questioning uh, of benching potter for the period uh do you think that management or PR or somebody kind of told Montgomery to maybe get ahead of it and just kind of explain herself a little bit more. Um, she's at, she's wondering those things. I don't, again, like, I don't really think Montgomery cares all that much about outside noise or criticism. So I don't think there's so much damage control, but I'm sure there was like a quick touching of base of like, Hey, 
this is like a thing people are talking about. I'm sure media is going to ask about it, you know, just a heads up. And from there, I think Montgomery's answers were pretty genuine. Like, I, I don't think, I do think he was going to have the conversation anyways, because we've heard, like he told him that on the, on the bench. Um, so how would he know that everyone was going to rip him at that point, you know? Um, and then like, you can't, you can't really like lie about a conversation you have with a player. So I'm sure what he told the media is more or less what he said in the meeting too. Like, I think he was trying to project sort of positivity and confidence in Patra um, while also highlighting like a couple things he had to work on and improve. So it's, it, it maybe doubles as damage control because of that approach but I think that approach was more for Patra himself and was geared towards the best way to handle Matt Patra rather than the best way to handle backlash from media and fans. I would say like my, my opinion on this is it's probably just the course of how things go in a, you know, in a week, like it's just par for the course and how you would deal with this. So it doesn't, I don't think it matters. Like, who the player was this is probably how it was going to be handled and obviously because of the situation where Patra is where he where he's um you know needing a little bit of extra direction and and people had a lot of questions I think it, it definitely helped but this is I don't think management said hey you have to do this like it was it's what he would have done I think maybe even say to Trent Frederick or like name a person that he like might decide to I only named Trent Frederick because in the past Bruce Cassidy had had sat Trent Frederick um and you know benched him or made him like a healthy scratch or whatnot like I think that the right thing to do is to have that conversation I don't think it was management saying hey but you know what if he didn't handle it that way maybe management would have eventually been like what was this like why didn't but I don't think they had to intervene let me add let me add on to Kim's question for you guys. Scott, do you have something to say to follow up? No, nope. go, go um, Let me add on to Kim's question. Um, do you think it's possible that going forward, uh, I, I don't want we all know there's no hockey market that likes to create circus headlines and drama like Toronto. Um, but I will say Boston is a lot closer to Toronto on that scale than say Florida or Carolina. So do you think Montgomery seeing how many questions arise in the media to him, to Patra. Hell, Scott had a little featured article, which, by the way, great job, Scott, um, with Matt Patra. But do you think Montgomery doesn't, for the sake of this not becoming a continued storyline and a a distraction for a young player, do you see him maybe not doing this in in the future just because now he sees what it kind of causes in in the media, which honestly, guys, if we're being like transparent, the media does literally and figuratively infiltrate the locker room. So do you maybe see Montgomery maybe trying to put out fires before they start and just maybe not scratch him for whole periods going forward? Yeah, I'll actually be pretty interested in this because I think obviously the, the, the end goal is to get Potter to a position where you're confident and comfortable using him in those situations anyways. So, you know, and then I I mentioned the schedule as well, three games in four days coming up. Like that's 
going to make it tougher to shorten the bench anyways. So it might happen naturally that, you know, if they're in that situation at some point in these next couple games, Potch is going to have to play. Um, but yeah, it, it will be interesting because I, I don't know that like the things that Montgomery wants Potter to work on and learn, you know, I don't think like, Oh, okay. We had a good meeting and a couple good practices and now he's all set. Like, I think though, I think there are things that as a 19 year old rookie, he has to continue to work on and learn over like a long period of time over the course of the season. But yeah, at some point though, you do have to get him into those chances um, and see what he does with it. So I think it's probably it would probably happen anyways, whether there's, you know, back whether there's backlash, whether they're worried about backlash or not. But I do wonder if like any of this um maybe accelerates it a little bit where okay, next time he's thinking about benching him, he says, mm, now nah, you know what, let's let's roll and see see how he does. Yeah, and I think that I I have a hard time because I was surprised in the first case, uh, in, in the first place where Patro didn't take a single shift, right? We talked about how that's the extreme. I wonder if maybe we see it more moderately where it's like four shifts. Like it's like it's a it's a limited number of shifts, but not an entire period without shifts. Makes it look a little bit less bad. Also you know, give him a little bit of a taste of it, see how he handles it, you know, like work him into it if that's the whole plan. And, and obviously by the playoffs, you need to know who you're putting on the ice can handle those situations, especially someone that might be a playmaker that you need out there in terms of influencing the offense. Uh, you want to give him a little bit of a taste. So you don't bench him for an entire period. Maybe it's just more limited shifts. And even in, by the end of the season, he should be able to go out there and do it. Um, otherwise it's just not ideal for a playoff situation because some of the other messages that emails that we got had to do with the fact that does it really make sense to have one of your best playmakers on the bench uh, at the end of a game when, when it's a tight game. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Mm-hmm. No, it's it, these are all these are all valid questions, valid points. Um, moving along to the last point that Kim had, or the last question she had, um, basically she's she's talking about will the Bruins hold it against Matt Patra um, if he's not producing uh, as much as some of the higher end rookies this year that will be in the Calder race, and she she talks about maybe. Um, usage being a reason for a lack of production for him he's still producing with 12 points but um will the bruins will will the bruins in-game management of matt potter that could potentially lead to a lack of production and opportunity will that lack of opportunity and production be held against potter even though it's the bruins that are kind of in charge of that um i guess i'll give a quick no i don't think so like i don't think the bruins are concerned at all about matt potter winning the calder or you know, uh, outscoring Connor Bedard or 
or uh, Leo Carlson or F- Adam Fantillion Columbus. I think they're just focused on his his two way development. Yeah, the the goal for Matt Padre isn't to the the goal that the Bruins are setting for him isn't to compete for the Calder, or put up as many points as possible, or any it's it's to help the Bruins win in whatever role he's in, and he's on a team that is tied for the best record in the NHL. He's playing around 14 minutes a game. Those other guys are on rebuilding teams and that can hand them 17, 18, 19 minutes. No problem. Like it's just, it's just a totally different situation. Uh, Obviously if you're, if you're one of those guys, you're playing with their best wingers, you're playing those minutes, like you're going to put up points. And, you know, I mean, let's just be honest. Like, Connor Bedard, Adam Fantilli, Leo Carlson are more just purely talented than Matt Potter anyways. So no, it's, there's no reason to like compare him to those guys. Uh, all the Bruins need from Potter is to be the best. He can be in the role that he's playing, which right now is, is third line center. <laughs> I think though, Scott in the preseason, or I think it was before the season started. Didn't you bring up one, uh, could could he be in the Calder race? <laughs> I think it was after his great preseason. Pot like Potra put up a bunch of goals, and you're like, mm, I don't know, Calder. <laughs> I don't think I said that. I don't think I ever thought. Uh, I think Connor it was. Bernard. I think it was mostly sarcastic. Okay. But <laughs> Maybe, yeah, I might have joked about it, but yeah. yeah, yeah, because I think I said something about like his scoring, and he his shot percentage was like over 50% or something. It was like 75% or something like that. And you're like, yeah, he's going to win the Calder. <laughs> let's uh, let's take a quick, quick break from the, uh, the, 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 the mailbag questions, which are primarily on Patra um, real quick, little detour. Kim also said PS Scott's article on Beecher Patra was fantastic. I think you need to do a follow-up once they get that air fryer. Scott, I want to, ask you in general um was there a main takeaway from your sit down with those players uh in your feature article that is worth bringing up right now that maybe something you learned about them or something that listeners would that haven't had a chance to read your your wonderful writing um that's worth mentioning well first off thank you to kim and brian and anyone else who said nice things about it bridget ripped it to shreds bridget said it was awful i I said you can do better (laughs) scott this is not your finest i'm just kidding (laughs) Uh, um yeah i mean i i think what you realize like when you talk to them about stuff like moving into a north end apartment is just like all the off-ice stuff that goes along with being a rookie that like you just don't think about where they're like because of the schedule like they legitimately in three weeks of living in that apartment had not yet had a chance just to make like an afternoon trip down to Providence to move stuff out of a storage unit. And like, when I was talking to Patra about that, he was like, yeah, because it's not just like getting down there, but then the building they're in, he was like, we're on the fourth floor and there's no elevator. So we have to like coordinate with the landlord. Cause we're going to be clogging up the stairway. And it's like, you know, like common issues that we, any of us have dealt with when you move, like, moving is a pain in the ass obviously um but it's like it it just humanizes it a little bit where you're like oh yeah like their life isn't actually 100 hockey and they even kind of said that where it's like they'll go home and you know for like a few minutes they might reflect on stuff that happened that day and kind of compare notes or their conversations with either teammates or coaches or whatever 
And like, then they try to disconnect. Like then they tried not to talk about hockey all night. So, um, you know, I, I think just not so much that I learned that, but just like a reminder that, you know, especially in Padres cases, like he's a 19 year old kid living really on his own for the first time, because even in juniors, you have a billet family. So, um, yeah, just that, like, there's, there's all the on ice stuff, which is like, that's enough to keep you busy for a rookie in the NHL. And then there's also just like, they also still have off ice real world things to deal with. Yeah. And I think a lot of people just assume that the team takes care of stuff and like more than they do. And it's like, I, no, I mean, the, they, team, the team certainly does help a lot. Like yeah, they help so, them find the apartment and all that, but yeah, but like, they're not paying for them or like, they're not helping them move in. <laughs> like they're not, they're not cooking for them when they're at home. Uh, they have to cook themselves. And Patra mentioned to us, um, Scott and I had a feature with Patra before the season, a, a special episode of the skate pod where we asked him about cooking and he said, no, he doesn't know how to cook at all. So and uh, like Brian mentioned, they're going to have to try to figure out how to use an air fryer because that's really what they got uh, working in this apartment. But this is well, also... They don't even have it yet. They still have to get it. Yeah, so. they still got to get that from Providence and uh, beat the traffic because we all know <laughs> Have fun driving a, a moving truck through the north end, by the way. You can't... Don't well, take Starro. It, Guys, don't try to take Starro. I seen last year a... Uh, a moving truck lost the whole top of the truck because it got stuck in the bridge. Yeah, I mean that that happens like every September first. Someone yeah. someone moving into a college does does not get wait, that is, memo. Wait, is that is that is that PC's mascot, the Providence Air Fryers? Is that is that? What <laughs> oh God, I wish that was their mascot. The I was mascot keeps say, me the fuck out. <laughs> yeah, it, it would be it would definitely be less creepy than Dom. But... Uh, yeah, and it probably smell like fried chicken. It'd probably be good, but um. <laughs> Uh, also, I, like I, apparently, a major bridge just sh- shut down in Providence um, on Monday morning. A bridge what? that I drove over that I drove over Sunday night, so that made me feel great. Wait, boy, damn it! I'm gonna have to off the podcast. Figure out, ask you where that was because I work at Providence College. So. I I don't think you'll be affected. It's like heading out of Providence itself, like mm. towards Seekonk, I think. That's where I, it's right near where I live. So. Oh, well, maybe you will be affected. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, I, one last thing about the yeah. like the kind of humanizing of uh, you know what what they told you and like the real life stuff. This is also something to keep in mind at the trade deadline because a lot of the guys are trying to find new like they're living in hotels. They're trying to find new apartments. They don't know if if they're like quote unquote like a rental they might not even bother to try to find an apartment. They might even they'll be without their family. Like there's a lot that goes into both like rookies trying to figure it out. And also with guys like Mason Lori, who I assume lives in Providence or near Providence and comes up and he's like on extended call-ups. And I believe he's staying in a hotel in Boston. So like the, the living situation is, it kind of gets weird with some of those guys that are either up and down or new to the team mm. and trying to just figure it out. So speaking of Patra and, and Johnny Beecher, question from Liz. She says, uh, assuming the bees make the playoffs, I'm worried that Patra and Beecher aren't getting enough experience slash opportunities or the experience slash opportunities they need now to be effective for a playoff run. I get the need to watch, learn, et cetera, but nothing beats being thrown into situations to learn. 
do you all think Monty should be giving them that late game experience now so they will be ready to go for the playoffs? I don't want them to have on-the-job training in playoffs. Um, Scott, you've kind of touched on this a little bit in the past. If it's a few months from now and or not, then you'll you'll raise your eyebrows. But I think until then, like it'll just be a gradual learning experience. I don't I don't think the Bruins want to get to the playoffs without these guys playing in all situations at all parts of the game. I think it's just a matter of when they're going to get those those looks. And I think you know they are here and there. But I'll let you guys answer Liz's one of Liz's questions. Yeah, I mean Be- Beecher has definitely been used in some of those situations. Maybe not every single time, but. We, we've seen him late in games. We've seen him take big defensive zone face-offs late. Um, you know, obviously he kills penalties, so he has that experience, like especially like late game extra attacker situation of defending while down a man. Um, you know, and part of that is Beecher has a full pro season under his belt down in Providence last year and learned a lot about the way the Bruins want to play because – the Providence Bruins play the same system and they drill in all the same stuff that they're teaching players. So when you have experience in Providence and then you come up, the not there's still a big transition, don't get me wrong, but you at least know the way the Boston Bruins want to play because you've been doing it. Patra, it's so different because he came from the Guelph Storm who do not play the way the Boston Bruins play and don't, don't even play the same type of defense. Like they play man on man rather than zone. So it's a huge adjustment for him. And yeah, like Brian said, like if, you know, if it's February, March, and they're still not using Potter in those situations, I'd, I'd be a little more concerned and be like, Hey, like you got to get him in there at some point, you know, um, you know, because in playoffs, like there's going to be tough situations no matter what. And um yeah, you can't just throw him into it then. But for right now, I think he's still learning so much that I'm fine with it being a gradual build. And I, I want to push this forward just a little bit because of the current center situation and ask, I, I mean, we know that Zaka and McAvoy are both ruled out for Wednesday's game. We don't we don't have an update on the, like, is it day-to-day? Is it week-to-week? We don't have that right now. But well, they are they're considered day to day. That's what Montgomery said. Okay, I should say we don't know if that if it's going to continue to last through X number of games because day to day can mean tomorrow they are feeling better or and McAvoy did skate on his own. Um, Zaka didn't though, right? No, Zaka wasn't on the ice at all on Tuesday. Okay, so just to push the Patra like usage and put it into the current situation with centers do you think that his usage changes now that Zaka is not going to be in Wednesday and potentially we don't know how many games he's not going to be in but I think if we had had this conversation earlier in the season we would have been talking about oh yeah put Patra in you know in Zaka's spot kind of feels like that's not what's going to happen at, at this point in the season. I, I feel like we would have been like, oh, yeah, put them with Pasenak, put them with, you know, and it just doesn't feel like that's really where things are going. Yeah, it certainly, at least not to start, um, it's going to be Morgan Geeky with centering Pasenak and DeBrusque to start. And 
Um, Montgomery talked a little bit about that, and I have something on it posting on Wednesday morning on WEI.com. But basically where this comes from is that, you know, on Saturday, obviously Montgomery made the choice to trust Geeky at center more than Patra, and he got more minutes over, obviously in the third period, but even in the second. And when Montgomery went down three lines, obviously he liked what he was seeing between Geeky and Pasternak because they ended up together for basically the entire second half of the game. They scored a goal. Yeah, and the results were really encouraging. They they scored a goal, and when they were on the ice, the Bruins out-attempted the Coyotes 11-3 and had a 7-2 advantage in scoring chances. So there's enough there to say, okay, that looked pretty good. Let, let's at least go with it to start the game. And either continues to work, and that's great, and then everything else kind of falls into place. Or if it doesn't work, you could see Patrick get bumped up to that spot. So I know, you know, I know a lot of fans are would be much more excited about seeing Patrick there, but when the geeky Pasnak, you know, pairing works so well on Saturday, like it's at least worth taking a look to see if that can be replicated because you're also still finding out what you have in Morgan Geeky. Like he's mostly played in the bottom six this season. And he's going to need some um, some minutes with, you know, higher level players to see. Obviously, you're not expecting him to be your number one or even number two center for any sort of long haul. But in a pinch, can he play there? Is that an option? And, like, that's kind of what this is a, a perfect situation to find out. Uh, so let's get to a couple more quick questions. Oh wait, I did want to. I did have one little follow up on that, mm-hmm. and yep. that was just to mention what the practice lines were sure. without Zaka. Um, and so you mentioned Debrusky, Kipasternak, but they also move Coil with Marshawn and Frederick, so they're breaking up that line that has looked good with Van Riemsdyk, um, Coil, and Frederick, which I think is an interesting choice. And it's Van Riemsdyk, Patra, Heinen was how they practiced on Tuesday. So that should be – I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that usage of Patra there. Um, I know We know he's played with Heinen a bit, but Van Reems, like he got a very short sample size with, and also that comp- the complicating factor is that you break up the, the Van Reems that Cole Frederick line, which has gone a little bit quiet recently. So I guess that's something that's important to point out. Did they score a goal against uh... – Coil scored last game against Arizona, right? Yeah, Coil did. Frederick took a turnover, passed it right out in front of him, and, and he poked it in. So, like, yes, in in certain stretches, they haven't looked as dominant, though, over the past sure. few games. Yeah. Um, I mean, I talked about it last episode. I, I've liked Heinen's play. Um, he's – Scott mentioned it a couple episodes ago. Like, he has X amount of points on the season, but, like, 90% of them have been, like, the last – bundle of games um so he's kind of he's kind of one of the forwards that's been feeling it um so maybe i don't know maybe he and patra can kind of be better off than patra and debrusque um so i guess we'll see i mean i don't these anytime there's makeshift lines due to injury or whatnot it's it's just kind of like it, it's it's you're just putting a band-aid on something so i don't really read too much into it um i don't have a i don't have any issue one way or the other with it i'm just kind of curious to see how how it looks yeah, and I also think like you're 
as I kind of mentioned with Geeky and Patra, you're there's sort of multiple places in this lineup where if something's not working, you're like one simple switch away. And another one of those would be like if Marshy and Coyle Frederick doesn't look great, you're one switch away from Van Riemsdyk goes back to that line that we know works with Coyle and Frederick. And then you get Marshy and Patra Heinen, which they used against San Jose and it was pretty good. So like that, that's a fairly easy switch to make too. Um, you know, I think you start, I think the reason you start with Martian and Coyle together is that's, that's more of a true top six line that you can throw out in any situation, can handle tough matchups. Whereas if it's, you know, Martian Patra, maybe you're still trying to shelter Patra a little bit. And this kind of takes that away where Martian and Coyle can handle whatever and you don't have to worry about them. So uh, two quick questions left from Liz, one from Scott, and then we'll kind of wrap things up here. Um, I'm going to paraphrase this one from Liz, but with Patra and Beecher in mind, she's pretty much asking, barring any uh, skill setback in rookies, uh, is it typical for them to make the team the following year, i.e. their sophomore season? Um, pretty pretty quick answer here um i'll give mine you guys can elaborate uh i mean typically yes they'll make they will again make the team the following season uh number one because the, the older you get in the league the more experience you have and, and the more that your um your ceiling increases and you're also on your rookie uh your rookie contracts which are uh cheaper more affordable for nhl teams so if you're somebody who is contributing to the team as a rookie um in, in a larger sample size uh, and there's no setback in skill. Like there's really no incentive to, you know, demote them or get rid of them or replace them um, depending on who we're talking about. But I think typically, yes, you will see them return for their following season. Yeah. Because obviously the, the hope is that, you know, Hey, if they're good enough to stick this year's rookies, you expect them to then grow and get even better during the course of the off season. Um, so yeah, even even if it's just in the same roles, like Patra is a third line center, um, Beecher is a fourth line center, looks like that can be really solid for you. And especially in Patra's case, we think there's upside for him to be even more than that at some point, whether it's next year or you know year after, whenever it happens. But um, yeah, you do occasionally see situations where you know someone gets a a full season, but then ends up back down. But I kind of feel like that happens more where like maybe a team's rebuilding or they're not really going for it and someone gets some run. And then, you know, the next year, maybe the team's going for it more and signs some free agents and someone gets bumped out. But um, in the Bruins case, like these guys have cracked the lineup and are on the team in a really good season when they're winning games and near the top of the standings. So it would, it would be pretty surprising and disappointing. Like if one or both of them didn't make it out of camp next year. And I don't think they've shown any reason why they wouldn't um, after their seasons so far, obviously we're not, <laughs> there's a lot of time left to see, but in, in terms of the actual cap hit that they bring, they're, automatically in higher consideration because these guys are both making 
Uh, I know Patra, he, this is his first year of a three-year contract and um, his cap hits less than a million dollars in the first three years. So um, that makes it easy. Uh, you know, it's not like it's a cap issue and it's not from what we've seen. It's not like he is not an HL caliber. So I, I think that a combination of all of that stuff means it is very unlikely that for whatever reason he goes down and, and I don't know if maybe the question was more about Beecher. I still don't think he's done enough to, to warrant being sent down. In fact, he's kind of carved out a role, a little bit of penalty killing time and is trusted defensively. So I don't see it happening here. And I think one of the other parts of someone else's question, Brian, maybe you were just about to bring this up was sending someone mentioned sending him to juniors and then back to Guelph. Like, is that a possibility? Um, it, which is kind of, Along the same lines, um, I think we've talked about this a tiny bit, but I guess, Brian, to you first, mm. does that make sense for the Bruins in any way? Or Patra, I guess. Does it make sense? I don't I don't think so. I mean, as, as you saw against Buffalo, like, you know, it's not that Matt Patra is their savior, but, like, he's definitely – he brings an element that you, you don't see in a lot of the forwards on the Bruins, and I, I don't think the Bruins are in a position to – to rid of, of that skill and creativity. It's, it's such a young age and such a promising age. And, and, but look, if, if Patra is out there turning the puck over left and right, and just like a total defensive liability and just like totally out of place, that's one thing he's not, I mean, he's, you know, he, he, he's very much a part of this team. Everybody is making mistakes and, um, and he's no different, but he's also helping the team in, in, in areas that others aren't. So I don't see why the Bruins would, uh, especially in the, the the position they're in where they, they're not in a position to 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 rid of any offense at all. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think. The, can I read the question just to be clear? It was from Liz. Said I saw a few people after the benching in Arizona and the third say that Patra needs to play in the World Juniors for Canada and then go back to Guelph for the rest of the season. Do you think the Bruins would do that, or is he locked in for the season? Was the question from Liz? No, I mean, I, I think he's pretty. World Juniors is one thing. I think sending him back to Guelph is like totally off the table. I can't possibly imagine that. Um, it, I, I don't think world juniors makes sense either though. And we kind of touched on this a little bit, but to me, like, unless he was like really struggling and in and out of the lineup because of his play, like if he was only playing half the games or something, I'd say maybe. Um, but in my mind, being a third liner on a top NHL team is way more valuable to him and for his development than being a first or second liner on, you know, what very well could be a gold medal team, but like, great. Okay. He's, he can go score against 18 and 19 year olds. Like, I think we already knew that. Like he was one of the top scorers in the OHL last season. So, you know, like maybe you get some confidence from seeing the puck going more, but I don't really see how that's more valuable for his development than what he's doing here. And I also don't think he would want to do that. I don't think, no, I mean, I know it's yeah. important for some guys to play for their country. And like a lot of times people talk about that as valuable experience, but most of the times when you're talking about that valuable experience in juniors, you're talking about guys who are too young to play in the NHL. Like you're talking about before they're called up, you're not talking about guys leaving during the middle of the season. Like a lot of guys have fond memories of it. If you hear other players talk about playing for their country in world juniors, because they did that when they're in college or they did that, you know, when they were in juniors, not when they were in the NHL. A couple of quick ones here. Um, guys think back to, 
to when Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban came out. Think back to Aaron Boone walking off against the Red Sox. Think back to Patrice Bergeron's rookie year. Are there any similarities to how the Bruins are using Bergeron or Matt Patra um, to Patrice Bergeron's rookie season, how they used him as a rookie? And it was a long time ago, Bridget. I think was, that the same, was that all the same year? Yeah, it, same, same, same 12 months, yeah. Give or take the 0304. So you and I were picking our nose in middle school, and Scott was probably upper middle school. I mean, uh, elementary school, and Scott was probably in fifth grade or something. But um, it would have been, let's see, 0304 is my freshman year of high school. Was it? Yep. No, it wasn't. You're lying. No, it wasn't. I graduated high school 07. So yeah. I was seven. (laughs) <laughs> because I, I, I remember I remember how depressed we all were the day after the Aaron Boone home run. I was like, no, no one was learning anything. Like amazingly, everyone went to school, but no one was learning anything. Like, oh shit. I let me tell you right now, I don't remember that home run. <laughs> I was not watching. Uh, um, well, Scott, okay, so do you I mean obviously you think back to Bergeron's rookie year, you I, I remember him like being uh with um, not William, uh, Michael Nylander and, and um, was it Ser- Sergei Samsonov in the playoffs against the Canadians? Uh, a couple overtime goals. I don't, I can't recall how they use him throughout the first 82 games of that season, but I do think he was more or less like a, a regular middle six forward for them. Yeah, he, he definitely was. I think there was some easing in. He, they even used him on wing a little bit. Um, Early on, I don't remember really exactly how long that lasted, but um, yeah, I mean, and like if you look at his ice time, I mean, he got more that season than Potter did. He ended up over 16 minutes a game. Um, you know, right right now, Potter's a little over 14, but I'm sure that built up for Bergeron. I doubt he was, you know, I don't think he was over 16 like right off the bat. So. Um, and he also didn't play, he didn't play every game. He missed 11 games. I don't know. I don't remember if there's an injury. I do know like he was rested at least a couple times. I don't know if that was accounted for all 11. So, um, you know, some similarities, but like, also it's just, it's a tough comparison because, you know, Patrice Bergeron's a hall of famer and like, you can't, it's not reasonable to really expect any rookie to walk in and make the impact that Bergeron did. Um, but yeah, like at least in the sense that Bergeron wasn't yet what he became, obviously sure. Like there was, there was some easing in and learning that had to happen. All right. Final question from Scott, not McLaughlin, um, but I still think the Bruins need to make a trade, move Jake, um, assuming he means Jake DeBrusque, and a defenseman, get someone who can fit in the lineup. Matt Potra is a playmaker and needs to be with someone other than DeBrusque, who is still not producing like a top six guy and is streaky with his effort. Um, I don't think anybody here disagrees that the Bruins probably need a little bit more up front. It's a matter of how and when. Yeah, I mean, I guess my question is, like, what are you getting for DeBrusque and a defenseman, and where does that leave you? Because then, it, like, even taken out of account, like, forwards on long-term IR, and that affects your defense right now. Okay, so say you're 
it's going to be what Debruskin Grizzlick or Debruskin Flubber when he comes back. I don't know if that gets you, like I don't know if that gets you a bona fide top six forward. Um, it, you, you don't think that be, would be enough to you get? You probably a- need to be throwing in something else. I would I would assume like Debrusk is a pending free agent. Forbert and Grizzly are both pending free agents. I'm gonna guess a team that's selling off the top six forward is looking for prospects and draft picks, not um, soon to be free agents. Yeah, you're right about that. Um, in terms of like what moves you see at the deadline, it's like they want draft capital. They they don't want they're not trying to win, uh, you know, a, a playoff game. So they're not like, yeah, we could use Jake DeBrusque right now. Um, so like when you think about rentals, they only go in one direction. They only go towards the team that's trying to win a playoff series, not the other way. Um, so I, I do think if all things were considered, like if it wasn't, if it wasn't a contract year, or if you could get like a confirmation that those two guys were going to sign, which is just logistically difficult to, to do, um, then maybe that, I mean, I don't think DeBrusque isn't and Grizzly aren't worth a top six winger, but just it doesn't make sense because of the contracts and because of the, because of what the ask probably is, is prospects and draft capital. Yeah. And also like, if you're making that trade now, you're trading DeBrusque at a total low point. Like you're selling low, which is generally not something you want to do in, in any trade. So you need, like, even if you are thinking about trading DeBrusque, you need him to get going at some point. So whether he's here or you intend to trade him, like you want his value to be higher than it is right now. And by the way, like if that happens and he starts picking it up, then we're probably not talking about trading him because now he's that top six forward you're looking for anyways. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. So look, guys, last episode, I believe my opening shift was something along the lines of the Bruins aren't as good as their record. How disrespectful of me. Scott, are the Bruins being disrespected elsewhere? Uh, They're, you know, they're top of the league. They have been for the better part of, you know, a regular season plus now. And here, here some people are like, 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 like myself and others that, I don't know. Just the eye test is telling me they just aren't as good as where they are in the standings. Um, what's going on? Who, who who's talking trash about the Bruins, Scott? Can't be me. Well, so I'm not entirely sure actually, but George commented on YouTube. This is a couple episodes ago, but um, since we're pulling comments, and he mentioned that he saw a power ranking that had the Bruins tenth. Um, now I have not seen this power ranking, so I don't know exactly where that came from. I will say that I took a little survey of, of various power rankings. Um, looked around at like the athletic ESPN daily Faceoff, TSN. And they, they all have the Bruins top five anywhere from like, I don't think anyone had the Bruins one, but anywhere from second to fifth. So that to, to me, like anywhere in there kind of makes sense. Um, you know, I tried to throw together how I would power rank them right now. And, you know, just so people understand, like, power rankings not just a reflection of standings. It's more like, which teams do you think are legitimately the best right now? And I have Vegas number one. I think that was probably the most common number one looking at other power rankings. They're they're the the defending cup champs. They have one of the best records in the league, even if they're not right at the top. 
Um, you know, someone's going to knock them off. Two, I have the Los Angeles Kings, who I think are just playing terrific hockey and really kind of have it all. If you look at that team, they are deep everywhere, and I think they're going to be very a very tough out for anyone. The biggest question is probably going to remain their goaltending, but they've been getting really good goaltending from Cam Talbot. So as long as that remains true, they're going to be high. They haven't they haven't lost a single road game yet this year. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Their home record is it's like almost 50%, but their road record is 9-0-0, which is crazy. And they they have seven wins in their last 10 games, so. So, three is where I might go like a little off the board here because my top Eastern Conference team is actually not one of the ones tied for the best record in the league. I have the Florida Panthers as the best team in the East. They they won the East last year. I think they actually improved their defense in the offseason. Um, I just think until someone, you know, until they slip up or someone shows they can knock them off, like that's – they're just such a good team, and, and they play a way that wins in the playoffs. They're do, they have a really – they're in really good shape, and Matthew Kachuk only has five goals so far. Um, and then I have the Bruins fourth just ahead of the New York Rangers who, you know, if we had done this like right after that game at, at MSG, I think the Rangers would have had to have been ahead of the Bruins, but looking at just like the Rangers are basically like breaking even at five on five. They're, they're outscoring teams on special teams, but generally you need to be a really good five on five team to, to go far. And the Rangers actually haven't been this season. Um, the Bruins haven't quite been like as, as a lead as the Kings at five on five, but they've still been pretty strong overall. Um, so give the Bruins a slight edge, but if someone wants to put the ranges ahead, that would be fine with me. All right. So I want to preface this real quick with the right now. Okay. The Bruins are third place in the, in the national hockey league. They're second place in the conference, tied for first in points, and they are first in their division, three points ahead of of Florida. Okay, so that's where they are. I also want to say there's 32 teams in the NHL. So keep that into perspective when I tell you where I truly think they are. Um, The best way I could describe this is I think they're a top 10 team. I think that there are eight teams in the NHL where if they were to go up against the Bruins in a playoff series, I would favor them over the Bruins. Um, So I have the Bruins ninth. I think the Bruins are a top 10 team. I think they're in the lower end of the top 10 teams in the NHL. I think Vegas, Colorado, Florida, Dallas, Carolina, where if you look at Carolina in the standings, they're not great. Like they're in like the middle of the league. They're like 18th overall, but I'm, but if they were to play Boston in a playoff series, I'm taking Carolina the Rangers, the Kings, the Lightning, because I think you have Andre Vasilevsky, you still have Victor Hedman, Stamkos, Point, Kucherov. Like, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I would probably, gun to the head, take them over Boston in the playoff series. Then I have the Bruins ninth, and then I have Toronto 10th. Now, I don't love Toronto's defense, and I don't love their intangibles. I think they're loose defensively, and I think Boston would beat them in, in a series because they're, I think their goaltending is better, and their structure overall is better, and where they lack lack an offense, Toronto severely lacks in defense. So 
I don't think the Bruins are a top three team in the league like they are in the standings. There's 32 teams in the league. I think they sit comfortably. If you want to say between six and 10 overall, fine. I have them at ninth, and it's just subjective at that point, obviously. In my opinion, I think they're a top 10 team, but a little bit lower down the list. Um, in the Eastern Conference, that has them, I think, fifth. I think I have them as like the fourth or fifth best team in the East. Are you publishing it? <laughs> Is this going up oh, on WEI.com? Maybe, maybe we could maybe we could do a little uh you know yeah menage. I, I was here. thinking about that at some at some point when I have time. Oh, I don't what? <laughs> I don't know if it'll be the next day or two, but I heard on TV um, for once. I don't know. <laughs> I'll explain to you what that means after. <laughs> I didn't even hear what you said. Maybe we should cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> Scott didn't even hear you. Scott, it's it's okay. I don't I don't want to have to explain to you some adult subjects that um, yeah. may or may not have been referenced. But I mean, we I, could do. Hey, con- context is everything. Con- we were talking about writing a a, a three way article. That's all. <laughs> so are we doing? Are we now? I don't want to. <laughs> I'm out, guys. No power rankings. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. We could, we could at some point. We used to back when Brian still worked in the office with us. We used to do articles like that all the time. I know. Now I'm like a Bruins alumni. I just come around for special occasions and, and ceremony nights. You know. <laughs> but anyway, so Bridget, where, where do you think the Bruins land? You don't have to give the rankings if you don't want, but. Well, I have them higher than you, Brian. Um, I think that. I think as per most people, they, I have Vegas at one. Um, I also, I I don't want to put like, I don't, Scott, I feel like you're pretty high on the Kings. Maybe it's be, like, is that recency bias or what? But I, I would also put Dallas ahead of Boston and potentially the Rangers ahead of Boston. So that would leave me right around like four. Yeah, I guess so. A couple things. So I, I tend to just like put a lot of value on defense and goaltending and Colorado has given up a lot of chances and has not been great defensively. Neither has Dallas and Jake Ottinger over the last month is under 900 save percentage. Um, I think Jake Ottinger is a, a very good goalie and it pains me to say anything negative about a Terrier, but I, he, that's... he's... He's actually not having a great season. Um, Carolina has the worst goaltending in the NHL. And I think the rest of that team is really good. And I think they play the right way. But until they figure out the goaltending, I cannot have them near all that close to the Bruins. Um, Same with like the Devils, another team I think should be better, but is not getting goaltending. So, um, so Scott, if it were today, like you would take the Bruins, you would take the Bruins over the Hurricanes in a playoff series right now. Yeah, because I, I think Carolina's goaltending is an absolute abomination. So I think that would cost them. Yeah, the series. I mean that's, that's totally fair. Goaltending is very important. Um, th- so that's why I mean conversations like this are fun because obviously it's like it's you know there's so many variables at play and 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 whatnot and it's all speculative. Um. And partly, maybe I just maybe I just watch this Bruins teams so intently that like I know, I I, I see a team that's like they're they, they're struggling for an identity uh, offensively. I think outside of, if if Pashnak goes down, now you can say the same about any team's top player, but like they're relying so much on I feel like on him, their line combinations. They don't know what is what. Um, I don't know if they will until maybe they add somebody at the deadline. 
Um, and I still think there's a there's a there's a lack of grit I, a little bit for my liking. But I mean, yeah, I mean, goaltending, goaltending. If if you don't have goaltending, it's tough. If 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 Allmark and Swayman were to flounder, I just think that the Bruins have a tough time overcoming that more than other teams because they can't. You know, yeah, well, what are the what are the odds that they both do? Like, I don't know. I don't know. That's why it's you know obviously I'm kind of speculating. I don't think they would, but if they if if the Bruins right now as it stands, the Bruins would have to play because honestly their defense has been leaky. Like the goaltending has been bailing out the entire team, right? So like, um, I just think the Bruins would really have to win a a lot of like low scoring close games, and I don't know if they have a lot of clutchness outside of a couple of players and. But look, I'm rambling. Um, I just, I mean, I feel it, it's weird because I feel like I'm putting this team down for saying I think they're like ninth, eighth, ninth in the league. I mean, there's 32 teams. I still think they're a top 10 team. Uh, I, I think if you look outside of net, I don't think they're as high as you guys are putting them. And I know you can't just ignore goaltending. I'm with you. Um, so maybe, I, maybe I'm being a little bit pessimistic uh, outside of with the roster outside of the goaltending. Yeah. I I do think like every there's a whole lot of teams that are fairly jumbled together and like just looking at my own rings and it's like yeah I could easily see I mentioned the Rangers just because I had them right behind the Bruins but I can easily see the case for Colorado Vancouver Dallas being ahead of the Bruins um, I wouldn't have a ton of pushback but ultimately to me that would leave them eighth is kind of like the lowest I could go um, just because then like that next group I'm not dropping them behind. Toronto, New Jersey, Carolina, just because those teams, well, New Jersey and Carolina, goaltending-wise, Toronto defensively, like, I, I just don't trust what those teams are doing. The good news is if the Bruins manage to keep the record and finish first in the conference, uh, or at least first in the in the division, because right now they're, they're, you know, they're in a race with the Rangers for first in the conference, but the good news is if they finish first in the division, they don't have to play Carolina first, hopefully, or like they don't, they're maybe going to draw a much. Well, they might. I mean, Carolina might be right what, what do you guys think? You think, you think I'm a little scarred from last year? You think I'm trying to temper um, expectations a little bit? Everyone is. What's think, going on? I think you sound like some of the other hosts that I, I, I know. Oh, that's that's disrespectful. I, I, like, I, know, I know the game with with one and one pinky more than all the people you're talking about. That's true. That's true. They say it without backing it up, but you at least you know we we back it up here. By the way, the the just like as a quick aside, the Metropolitan Division is like wild the way that those standings look right now. Like you get the Rangers kind of running away from everyone, but then like the Capitals in terms of points percentage who I don't believe in at all, no matter what their record is. The Islanders, who I don't think are playing very good. The Flyers, who might actually be like a sneaky playoff team. Um, you know, I actually think there's some promising pieces there. And like, then you get to New Jersey and Carolina, fifth and sixth, Pittsburgh way down in seventh. Like it's it, outside of the Rangers. It's like almost inverted from what I think most people predicted. Yeah. The Flyers was kind of, they're surprisingly closer than, People thought to the playoffs, I think, this year. And I, I believe in them a little more than the Islanders or Capitals. Like, I actually I actually think the Flyers have a pretty solid roster. All right, guys. Any any uh, remainder, remaining 
topics or questions or concerns? I don't think so. I think I'm good. You want to take any more seconds to think about that one, Scott? Or no? You good? <laughs> no, no. I'll read good. a whole Harry Potter novel in the time it took you to answer that question. <laughs> yeah. I gotta, I think... It's been a while since I've reread Harry Potter. I used to like reread that series. I think I've reread it in full like four times. Like, I don't know if you guys, I don't know if you guys know this about me. Listeners might not. But I was, I grew up a, an enormous Harry Potter nerd. Scott, everybody did. Come on. Everybody did. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like rereading the entire series multiple times. I mean, that's um, that's like the diehards. I mean, I I probably read all seven books at least maybe ten times, and by read the books, I mean I read the watch the movies. Um, cause I <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have the, By the um, way, there there some of them are very different, but whatever. Um, this is not a Harry Potter podcast. No, it's not. It could be. It could be one it time. Can be. We almost did a Game of Thrones one once, um, back when that was still going on. Mm. What what's the other what's the other uh it's Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone and then what's what's the other version of that title? Philosopher's Stone. Yeah, I don't like that one. I don't like that one. We'll we'll damn, end there. Damn British. Yeah, you're gonna get my blood boiling. So <laughs> let's let's just end this before I, you know, throw my screen somewhere. So uh no, nothing else. You guys are good? Yeah. No. All right. Thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you very soon.